A German bounty hunter and a freed slave named Django join forces to take out bad guys for money and rescue Django's captive wife, Brumhilda, from the clutches of a sadistic plantation owner. It's engaging, brutal, uncompromising, and ultimately unforgettable 2012's Django Unchained. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Adam Johnson. And I'm Maja Pierce-Lewis. And this is Filmgasm. Welcome to the Filmgasm Podcast. Our best of 2010 series continues with my number two, Quentin Tarantino's revisionist history western Django Unchained. Another masterpiece from the people's filmmaker that continues to hold up thanks to its original story, memorable characters, and brutal historical accuracy or inaccuracy, depending on who you're talking to, really. Um, what are your guys' history with Django Unchained? Adam, why don't you start us out? Um, I, you know, Tarantino is the type of guy that you hear that name over and over when you kind of like are growing up and you're, you're you know, just somewhat, you know, into movies. Uh, and then as I got older, I got much more into them, you know, kind of get into like kind of older high school, early college age. Um, so this came out 2012, correct? Um, yes. so this would have been, yeah, I was living college station at the time. I would have gone and seen this for sure. Theaters. And so, uh, I think Glorious Bastards was the first Tarantino movie I saw in theaters. And then I kind of had gone back and watched, you know, some other ones too. Uh, and then. And then, yeah, just like was like, OK, I have you know, a season pass. Every time this guy makes a movie, I will be seeing it uh, in theater and, and, and try to you know consume it multiple times and try to figure out what he's trying to say and you know, all the little elements of it. Obviously, this is the kind of I guess is the second of the kind of like, let's go back and revisionist history. Um, little kick that he's been on, uh, which is which is fun. I, I mean, this one is, is a complex one for a bunch of different reasons, but um, I really like this movie. The first time I saw it, it was kind of Jamie Foxx that jumped out at me um, and was like, what a cool role for that guy. He's like one of the most talented people like ever um, really when you kind of break it down. And that's the thing that lingered with me again this time. So um, very much like this movie. This was, this was one that was like kind of in that 10 to 15 range, like just outside my top 10 uh, for this, this project we're doing. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Bastards was my first uh, Tarantino at theaters too. And uh, I, I'd seen everything else at that point. I was, I was in on this guy and I was very, I, I was, I was indoctrinated early by my uncle and uh, never looked back. He's, I mean, you know, say what you want about the guy. He's got, you know, he's got an ego the size of a football field, but the work speaks for itself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maja, how about you? Yeah. Um, so I wasn't super familiar with the story of Django, actually. And so when I remember when it came out, um, I was not interested. I just don't do, personally, I don't do gore and stuff. Even when I do like psych thriller stuff, the gore is really not my thing. I'm not into that. Um, so I saw how violent it was and I forget what other movie was out at the time. And I was like, let's go see that. But I was visiting <laughs> my grandparents and my grandfather was like, no, we're seeing Django. I was like, I don't fucking see that. Like, that's not, I'm like 13. I don't want to see that. <laughs> so I sat through this two hour long movie and I was like, what am I watching? When, why, why are we, why am I here at least? Like you can be here. I could be in the other theater room watching another movie, but, um, but it was good. Um, I'm familiar with Tarantino's work, um, like Pulp Fiction is one of them. I loved Inglorious Bastards as well. And I know that's that can be pretty gory, too, but it was just great. Um, and I think it just points back to what you were saying, um, Connor, about like the the cinematography of it all and the way that he presents the film. So despite the gore, it's interesting. It's captivating. It's visually stimulating. Like the story is good. Like the lines are there. The humor is there. It all kind of like 
culminates and it's 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 entertaining um so yeah Django itself like the story before this film not familiar with it and I got very familiar with it now (laughs) (laughs) yeah Django has kind of become like like a kind of a go-to western hero in the 60s like if you wanted to make a western movie call it Django and throw in some other words and somebody will watch it and that traces back to Sergio Corbucci's Django 1966 which was the first of the Django of like the many Django movies and uh very much in, uh, this movie is very much inspired by that we'll talk a bit about that but uh yeah it is funny that like there there there's like a hundred of these and they're not connected at all it's just Django cuz it's a cool name great <laughs> <laughs> <Right>, name <laughs> uh, this was the last movie i saw in theaters with Caleb before he left uh for college in 2012 i remember that we went to the, the northwoods theater and uh saw this and we're like oh that was great and then he was gone lost my you know my best friend was gone and i didn't you know what do i do now <laughs> it was a christmas release wasn't it it was it was okay yeah i thought i remembered that yeah so christmas to- of 2012 so yeah late 2012 yeah no yeah definitely definitely i don't know if i saw that northwoods but i probably would have been back home like visiting family so yeah i probably did see it in san antonio i might have seen it at the draft house that might have been early uh that stone oak draft house that might be my where i saw it great theater yeah oh yeah connor knows it well oh yes i know i know that yeah i i i pulled many a leg muscle in that theater (laughs) (laughs) um so my question to y'all tarantino is a bit of a divisive figure for multiple reasons amazingly he has yet to acquire a um sexual harassment like tag i was waiting for that i really was um but the work is very violent very uber violent very aggressive very some might say racist some might say sexist really depends on your point of view i guess i i see him as more of a storyteller who just loves to do weird fucked up shit because he's won oscars doing this shit he's like made money he's won awards he's been you know He's kind of like, I think he feels he's earned the right to pretty much do whatever the fuck he wants. Um, But he always, this question of like violence in media always comes back up in the me- in the news whenever one of his films comes out, which makes sense. I mean, his films are way more violent than most others. I mean, in this film, you've got, you know, a guy getting ripped apart by dogs. You've got vi- aggressive blood spatter. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a red film. So my question to y'all, do you think violence in media, particularly in Quentin Tarantino's world, has a any sort of effect on violence in reality? Wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it certainly could. It certainly could. I mean, I, I don't know if I can like point to like a, a direct like, oh, yeah, remember this incident where like this kid cited, you know, Pulp Fiction for like the reason he went on a rampage, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I could find that or, or even if that's ever happened. Um, but no, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, the human mind is very malleable. Like I think, I think it can be, it can be twisted and, and contorted based on what you're viewing. And if you don't have any sort of filter, like if you don't have any way to kind of filter that out, like I certainly think you could be affected by it. Um, and even if you don't necessarily like want to go, you know, commit any sort of violent crime yourself, it might play a role in the kind of like, 
you know, just like dropping the value of someone's life or just like a life in general. Cause you're just like, Oh, you're just like constantly seeing just like bodies hit the ground and, you know, blood splatter everywhere. And she's like, Oh, this is just like disposable, you know, um, lives that I'm seeing on screen. You could, I could see you making that, you know, I don't know. I mean, that, that, that'd probably be, uh, <laughs> I don't know, a little bit of a stretch, but yeah, I mean, I don't see why not like why, why it would not affect somebody, but I also can see why someone could watch this and like not be affected at all, you know? So, um, I don't know. I mean, I can't speak. I mean, that's pretty easy. It's pretty easy for me to filter out. Like it's pretty easy for me to watch this movie and not be like, Oh man, I want to go commit that crime. Like I, that's, that doesn't happen, but you know, I could see why somebody would. Yeah. Interesting. Maja, what about you? Yeah. I think it can add to like, uh, to one being desensitized to it, especially Mm -hmm. like there's so much exposure constantly. I mean, I don't think this is necessarily like, like dependent upon or or like restricted to like Tarantino's work explicitly because I mean before his work or and kind of all throughout like I mean look at the news yeah. <laughs> like I mean the news is media entertainment they get Tony Awards and stuff so like at and and the stories that they choose to like report on are usually more violent and graphic in nature and have become more so over the years um so it's, I don't know if like Tarantino's work specifically like would contribute a lot to this or like if one were to watch like Pulp Fiction or Inglorious Bastards or whatever, or even Django, um, no. that, you know, someone would be like, yeah, this for sure. Um, I, I think it's a yes and no thing. I, I okay. think, yes, one could be influenced, especially impressionable people. I mean, we've seen like. I don't, I don't mean to get all grim here, but if we go back to like Columbine, like those two boys were highly influenced by a lot of like the graphic um, violent video games that they were playing. It kind of like fed their imagination to a degree and was kind of the precursor to their fantasies before they actually like did the thing. Um, so I could see in which if someone is more inclined to those kind of behaviors or fantasies or desires that maybe like a violent movie or video game or something could like add fuel to the fire. But I don't think it alone. And I, I feel like statistically as well, like research has been done that did not necessarily correlate violent video games within actually doing violent stuff. Yeah. So it, there's no like sci- at least a scientific correlation between but between those two things. So it's, it's a yes and no. I mean, there are people who play violent video games all the time. Call of Duty is really popular. <laughs> um, I mean, people watching The Walking Dead, people getting eaten, shot, stabbed, all the stuff, cut up, tore up, eaten alive. So, I, I, but I do for sure think it, it adds to people being desensitized to it. And I think that's where you can get into murky waters because okay. if you're that desensitized when you're watching it or hearing about it, then when things start to happen in real life, are we going to be that far removed from the reality of it as well? I don't know. Mm. So. Okay. I have two follow-up questions. One, why do you think it's Tarantino specifically that keeps getting called out for this? Cause like, look at Steven Spielberg, you know, saving private Ryan, for example, horrifically violent film, but mm-hmm. I don't recall anybody like coming after him for like glorifying violence or anything like that. But Tarantino, because it's like, tongue-in-cheek and he's like smiling about it like like where do you why do you think it's him that's it well i think i think you just nailed it is is like the tarantino stuff is fictional it's like like to tell the story of saving private ryan you have to kind of show this violence it's like it's like key to the story to understanding whereas like that's not necessarily the case with some of tarantino stuff like even though he may say it is like he may it's like this is still a fictional work right like 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 these stuff he is writing these things whereas like I don't know, Saving Private Ryan, that's a good example because it is crazy violent, but like 
that's that's Spielberg telling this story of something that actually did happen. So it's like it would be weird if I if it was not violent, you know. It's like well, that's not true to real life. So um, I, I I mean I think it's it's dumb. I my, I think what you're what you're trying to get to is like <laughs> it's, it's a double standard. And that's not really fair. But I think that's maybe why it's happening is because like hey, this is just like documenting something that actually did happen. This is like you don't need, need to have this violence, but yet you do still have it in here. But he's also setting his stories in hyper violent times world, in world, world yeah. history. Yeah. You know, yeah. World War Two. Slavery in America, the Manson family, like he, he, he's doing like he's you know, he could avoid this, but he, do, he clearly doesn't want to. No. Um, and then my second question, fuck, what was my second question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I remembered, I remembered. Um, do you think when there is a a shooting, a ma- like a mass shooting, an incident, somebody attacks somebody and they do cite influence from art. Do you think there is any bit of responsibility that falls on the artist who created that work? Maja, you want to take that one or you want me to go? <laughs> if you have a formulated thought, go ahead. Yeah, A little bit. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, okay. Unless that is the intention of the artist, right? Unless there's like, no, I want to incite violence. Like, well, then you're just an anarchist psycho. Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. Right. So, <laughs> right. There was the, there was the, um, did you want to go watch um, uh, Woodstock 99? Oh, I did. Yeah. I watched that. Yeah. yeah. Awesome documentary. Right. So there, mm-hmm. there are artists there that saw craziness happening in the crowd. And instead of kind of putting a halt to it and Travis Scott recently too, right. He had that kind of crazy oh. concert. Like there was a chance where he could have like, Hey, Maybe let's chill out. Let me stop this for a second. Let's figure out what's going on here. And then, like, he they fed into it. They fed into it. And made it's like, oh man, yeah, burn that stuff. You know, like, like kind of telling the this mass group, which is already kind of in this rage, um, to kind of go do more. At that point, okay, maybe. But like, hey, I made this movie that's like a story that I wanted to tell, and like now this kid went to, you know, is citing this thing. It's like that. No, I, I think at that point, that's not that's that has no bearing on the artist. Um, that's what that song that Eminem song Stan is all about, right? That's like that's like half of you know what that that song is kind of about. Yeah. So. Um, no, I do not think so. If it, if it's like a movie type, you know, situation. I was playing devil's advocate here. I very much do not believe that either. I think it's one hundred percent personal responsibility. Yeah. No. Yeah. But um, yeah, interesting to talk about. Maja, what do you think? Yeah, same. I, I don't think it's it's necessarily the artist's responsibility. That's that's a, a lot to put on their shoulders. Um, yeah. Especially considering, like, I mean, there are books. There are like actual factual things in history that have happened that are quite violent. And so those things could possibly be inspiration as well. So it's, I don't think it's the fault of the person writing it or relaying a story or creating an artwork or whatever the case. Like I said before, I think it, it could possibly serve as an extended fantasy for the individual who is more inclined to do the thing or who is trying to find a a vehicle to like exercise the thing that they want to do. I think that's really what it is. That is that's a good point. You know, there are people out there who cannot disassociate between fact and reality or fact and fiction, and they can see this stuff as almost like an a uh, an inv- an invitation. Mm-hmm. Which, to me, that is that's a mental health issue. That's not an issue about you know violence in media. Like it's all make you know to me it's all make believe. I I watch a shit ton of like you know viciously horrific horror movies and stuff. And not once have I ever thought like I need to go kill somebody. So I do, yeah, I I just don't like when the media like reports, you know, whenever there's an incident, they they tend to go after especially violent video games and that's just not helping. Yeah, you know, I, I to, to kind of draw a line, like 
to another thing. So I can, in, in, I'm, I'm a big like soccer fan. I watch a lot of like European soccer and stuff like that. And there have been incidents in, um, in Russia and Serbia and, um, where was another recent one? Um, Croatia. I think there's, there's incidents of like, you know, either racist chance at players or, um, an incident of somebody throwing something on the pitch, you know, like, uh, uh, there was this drone incident, this one international game at one point where like, a, you know, it was like a, uh, um, who was it? Kosovo, maybe, because like they recently have been, been able to play as, a, as an independent nation. And it's like there, there's like all these like, you know, topics like, oh, like what's wrong with like the sport? It's like, OK, that's not like the sports fault, you know, like like what's yeah. wrong with these like the sports? Like that's a, that's a fault of like that group or like that nation has got an issue with, you know, uh, the, their attitudes towards race and, and, and other cultures and stuff like that. It's like, it's like the, the game of soccer has the issue. You know, it's like, it's like, that's, that doesn't happen here. Like, so it's like how, you know, I, I do think that's a little bit like lazy to just be like, Oh man, like what's wrong with that? Like, Oh, that, that sports crazy. All they do is like the fans just chant stuff. It's like, no, the fans not everywhere. It's just the fans there did that, you know? So like, that's what you need to attack, not like the thing in general. So, um, yeah. but I'm sure you kind of, it's that same kind of feeling of just like, it's like, ah, it's just those violent video games. Okay. It may have been like maybe one violent video game, but it's, it's that individual that made a mistake, not the video game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not everybody who plays Doom shoots up a school. Right, right. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. Okay. Good talk there. Yeah. I, I knew this was going to be uh, an interesting jumping off point. It's a, it's a heavy subject. And uh, obviously, we're not going to come up with any kind of solution here. But, you know. Well, well, let me, let me, let me ask you this. Is there any part of this movie? Where, because there's only one to me where where it's like okay, like didn't need all that. Is there any part of there to, to you guys? Just one. <laughs> well, because no, because I think there's well, yeah. I mean, obviously there's a lot of like really, <laughs> but there, but there's but there's only one where I'm like I'm like it, this just feels like kind of completely over the top. Whereas like the other things, it's like okay, this actually like matters to the story. Like like for this person to get free, this violent act needs to happen. For this event to occur, this this act needs to happen. Um, but I think the shootout at the end when it's like it's it's almost like um like like framing some of the violence as like this like like money shot you know of like when he's mm-hmm. almost like using bodies to kind of like you know as like a, as like a, a shield um Django is at the end there that like major shootout at the yeah. uh at, at Candyland that's the one where you're like and it's just blood splatter everywhere it's crazy noises and you're just like okay like yeah <laughs> it's like it certainly feels a little like like we're glorifying the violent part here rather than like the story moving forward because of you know violence yeah that that's fair? fair. Yeah. I I see that more as like if you go so over the top that it's just not realistic anymore, you you're no longer seeing this as something real and you're seeing it as more of a cartoon cartoon. It is almost cartoonish. Yeah, it is almost cartoonish. Yeah. Yeah. Um uh, he does that a lot. Um and this movie, especially, you know, dealing with such like this was the first movie I ever saw that dealt with slavery in a like realistic way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then you've also got, you know, it's hard to juggle over the top bad guys with real life bad guys and use, you know, try to find a balance. Uh, I don't know how realistic like a character like Calvin candy is for like a, a plantation owner in 1858. Uh, I think he's pretty on the nose. But um, yeah, yeah, it's it's tough because I really like this movie, and I I don't want to like just come off like I don't. <laughs> well, I, but there, I, I like it too. Yeah, I love it. I mean, there I, are yeah, moments where it's movie. like, did we did we need to blow that guy up that hard? <laughs> yeah, 
yeah or or, or frame it the way he does you, you know what i'm saying yeah. it's like mm-hmm. it's like the violent act can happen you know in the background or whatever we can know, we, we can know like oh man like that guy's holding the gun to this guy's head but we don't necessarily mm-hmm. need to see the splatter or the brain you know it's like yeah so we get it the guy shot shot the guy in the head you know what yeah. I mean? or the torture aspect to it i think that's what really like draws it out so so at the end when um What's Samuel L. Jackson's character's name? I forget. Steven. But when Steven. With what? Yeah. So when like when he's getting shot in his kneecaps and stuff, like that that's pretty torturous. Or like even in the beginning, um, where um the doctor is like <laughs> just he's just shooting them and he's like screaming on the ground like in pain and he's trying to get answers from him. So they like throughout the movie, there are like these torturous um scenes of like extreme violence and pain that's being drawn out purposefully kind of as if like there is a sense of enjoyment to it like you were saying before so i I think that's what makes it like okay we can we end this now like sure you shot him that's great maybe like you shoot him he still has something to say and then you you end it again but it just feels so drawn out like there's a level of enjoyment to it well that's because it's bad guys yeah, I think the Stephen ones because like this guy, he had this coming. Like, like we need to make him really feel this because like he was that evil, you know. Yeah. But but no, it is. It's like man, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I know. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, to me, to me, it, to me, it's the framing is the mo- is the thing. It's like okay, this guy clearly likes this, and it's like that's fine. I mean, I love all Tarantino's movies. I'm not like some like you know Puritan here. I, it's just it's just like uh, I don't know. Like I do, I can see that argument. So I can see why people are like okay, I have a hard time with some of that element of his stuff. Like obviously, it's witty banter and like. The, the the performances are unbelievable and he, he's an actor's director for sure but um yeah i could see i can see that criticism like like when people say like oh, i have a hard time with this movies because of this i'm not like oh you like idiot you know it's like oh that's fair you know mm. yeah it is fair and tarantino gets away with it because he does horrific drawn out painful shit to bad people yeah exactly like he's, yeah. he's always done like look at pulp fiction i mean mm. the guy you know the the guys who get the gimp are, are is like you know the guy is a crime boss monster so it's like better like if that was just like an innocent person you'd be horrified but because he's a crime lord it's like well you know don't go to that neighborhood like i don't know yeah Yeah. that's an interesting you could write a whole fucking like thesis on that i'm gonna i'm gonna table that but um (laughs) (laughs) that's a cool hmm. all right yeah all right cool let's uh all right, let's let's dig into the production of Django, where this came from, because all of Tarantino's stories come from an interesting place. He's like he plans shit out decades in advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, Django Unchained, the seeds for this were laid in 2007. Uh, Tarantino started discussing a uh, spaghetti Western inspired film set in the Deep South. He said he wanted to, quote, do movies that deal with America's horrible past with slavery and stuff, but do them like spaghetti Westerns, not like big issue movies. It's like, oh, mm, okay. Um, I want to do them like their genre films, but they deal with everything that America has never dealt with because it's ashamed of it and other countries don't really deal with because they don't feel they have the right to. Hmm. Interesting. Like taking a big, you know, idea, like doing a movie about slavery and saying like, I want to do it in a fun way, not in a serious way. That's a, I, that's a kind of a hard pill to swallow. What do you guys think? Go for it, I Adam. Defer. I defer. 
<laughs> I did it first. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this is this now gets into the whole like debate about who gets to tell certain stories, right? Which is like, I mean, that's a big one. Yeah, that's a big like topic that has a lot of tentacles to it. Um, I I do kind of yeah. I mean, I, I see what he's saying about the like you know other countries don't feel like they have they can like do this. I think that's that makes sense. Like you know we're the we're kind of like the one you know the, the deep south slavery like kind of epic that he's telling here it's like it does kind of make sense for maybe an american voice to tell that story um but i mean like i mean how much do we want to get into the like you know who gets to use the n-word stuff like the all those stuff in this movie i mean obviously that's a, that's a big point of it um and so for that part i probably want to defer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that's all right <laughs> <laughs> um you know it, yeah, it, it, it gets sticky. Uh, I think there's a lot of sensitivity around stuff like this. Um, I mean, for a good reason. Um, and a lot of people have varying degrees of opinions about like, oh, like the only people that should be telling the story are like Black people ourselves, you know, or people of the African-American diaspora. And it's, it's, I could see why that reasoning is there. And I completely understand it because there is kind of this exploitative nature that sometimes happens when a story is told by somebody else who may not have experienced it, but is trying to profit from it in, to a certain degree, even if it is kind of like a fictional story like like Django is. Um, so I, I, I can see both sides of it. Uh, me personally, for, I enjoyed this movie. And I, I honestly thought that this was a good depiction of, I mean, sure, maybe some things were exaggerated to a degree like the extreme violence <laughs> all the bloody stuff but i mean seeing some of the the historical components like the the mandingo fighting or the basically the sex slavery that was going on or like the the chain gangs and stuff that shit was all real um the masks and stuff were all real that they would the metal frames and stuff that they would put on the men were real the castration all that was real so for me, I think this was one of the most realist depictions of slavery in all of its atrocities. Because um, even um, there's some other movies uh, that have that have been out. Um, well, I mean, just just a year later, Twelve Years a Slave comes out, which is a much right. more serious, you know, kind of intense movie, but but a very similar well, and also based on a true memoir of a real person right. too. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. But that so was I, also that was I, people I, had a problem with that being told by a British director. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Again, I could see the issues. I could see why um, there is like this uh, like protective nature of who gets to tell this history um, and how it gets depicted. And if it is depicted, for what reason, for what purpose is it? Is it to like actually bring light to what's going on or is it to make money and to profit the people who aren't even like being represented? You know what I mean? So I, I think there is a there is a, a lot of sensitivity around stuff like that and and with good reason. So but yeah, yeah, definitely with good reason. I mean, we got into this, I think a little bit, Connor, when we did waves because that's directed by a white guy. Um, and suppose there's a, there's a mostly, I mean, I mean, it's not necessarily a, a, a uniquely like, you know, black story. I mean, I think it's, there, there's some elements of, of race stuff that like they, they talk about and deal with, but it's not like, you know, it could be, that could be a white family. That maybe be a little different, but um, I, I, yeah, it's, yeah. Sticky is a great word for it because it's like, I have such complex like feelings about this because it's like I think I think when we get to the point of like limiting who gets to tell what stories, that can that could be a double-edged sword, right? Like it's like, okay, like only you can tell this. It's like, well, then somebody might be able to say, say, well, like, well, then like a black guy can't direct 
um, Top Gun when there's a bunch of white guys in it. It's like, well, no, that's stupid because that's not a uniquely, you know, white story. Like, there's all this kind of like what about is that can happen when you kind of do some of that stuff. And there are certainly stories that I kind of I believe like, hey, this should be told by someone who you know has either experienced this or their family's experienced this and um, has more, you know, personal beliefs behind it. But I, I don't know. I that that yeah, sticky is such a good word. It's like I almost don't even know what I think about that because it's like I I love to live in a world where anyone can tell any story, but that's just not real life. You know, um, that's just not real life. You know, so. And, you know, and hearing you say that, it makes me think of like, I was in a class about um, American Indian studies, right? It was American Indian studies class. And a lot of Native American um, stories that are told, like, especially by non-Native people, the, the idea is to get permission for the story to be told by said community that you are representing or trying to like, um, I guess, relay whatever, whatever piece. Of, it could be a whole story, or just a fragment of it. It, it is a part of like a cultural um respect um and like like doctrine within their community to be like we we own this right to the story this is like our sovereign thing and so if you want to like share it you need to come to the source for permission to do so and so i think again challenging thing um i can see the one side where it's like yeah no this should be exclusively for us to tell and us alone um but then also I don't know. It's just so hard to to really it's get tough. to the center of, but it, no, it, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah, because I, I I definitely I definitely see the side where it's like, no, this this should be a story that we tell. But but I also see, and then there have been so many other things um, that have been uh, books, movies um, that have been made by non Black people about slavery or regarding slavery to some degree um, that do tell the story um, and that that do depict the things correctly. Um, well, and think about it this way, that's helping, that's helping that story get out there more. Right. Um, right. just like, is that not the ultimate goal is like shedding light on this really dark period. Um, and if it takes multiple different types of people telling those stories, it would be weird if it was only white people telling the stories, but if it's like, Hey, we're having a bunch of different angles, that's great. Right. Cause this is, that's just getting more and more exposure to this really dark part of, of the country's history. So, um, that's kind of where I land on that too. It's like, yeah, this should not be exclusively maybe one or the other. I, I do think there's some that are like very you know, unique to, a certain group that like it might be necessary for someone from that group to tell that story but um this is one that's like it's such a big thing it's such a you know a, a giant topic that um people can tackle from different angles so why not have one you know um it'd be weird if this was the only slavery movie is my point but but it's not you know it's not so um but yeah i think i think Connor, you already said it right uh, there are people that had problems with with 12 years slaving told by a british director um i i did not i did not think that was that was strange i think i think sometimes sometimes the best stories can come from an outsider looking in on a, on, on a, a people group. Right. Um, yeah. And if, at least if it's sold respect, then I think that's, that's, you know, right on let's, let's keep doing that. That's pretty much where I fall on it is if it's treated with respect and dignity and told correctly, it should be told in that way. Whoever wants to tell that story in a, in the, in the way it should be told, I think should be allowed to do it, especially when it's fiction, when it's nonfiction, yeah, I think there's an argument for for yeah. something there. But when it's yeah. fiction, when it didn't actually happen, I think I, I think there should be a little bit more leeway with who tells these stories. Right. And I, th I think that, that goes down that goes down to uh cast as well, Connor. Like, um, because there's people who sometimes have problems, like, oh, different people playing different things. Like, I mean, there's a ridiculous, you know, it just let's just call it what it is racist idea about like the new um Ariel being black. And there's a lot of people like, oh what? You know, it's like it's like that's that's enough, like there's no historical precedence. It's like it's just 
it was just this animated movie that person like who cares what race they are like that doesn't that part doesn't matter but then but then i think if you're telling the story of martin luther king jr it's like well that actor probably needs to be black <laughs> like that'd be very strange to not you know what i mean so it's like that that's where like it's like it, even in casting too like i think it's really cool and there's like the casting you know what the person looks like doesn't matter at all so you can have like the the, the funniest example of this now louis ck has his own you know problematic things but um i remember him casting uh the the person in his show in in louis uh to play his ex-wife and his two kids in the show are both like these like you know very you know pale like blonde girls but he cast a black woman to be his wife and he was just like she was the best in the audition like i don't really care that's not like the people would be like oh it's a little bit weird you know he's like that she just did the best job it's like that's that's really cool right that didn't really matter like what she looked like it's just this fictional character that's like in like four episodes of this of this tv show that's a cool example of it being like it doesn't matter what this person looks like they're just the best of the job um but yeah but if you're telling a story the story of you know fred hampton it's like well that actor needs to be black like <laughs> it's like that needs to be really weird if you're telling the story of you know uh ronald reagan it's like well that actor probably needs to be white that'd be very strange if it was <laughs> if he was if he was not you know what i mean well, I I agree, but even that has gone gotten a little weird. Like there was um do you remember the movie Being the Ricardos? Yeah. Uh Javier Bardem, Nicole Kidman story of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Yeah. Javier Bardem came under a lot of fire because he's Spanish, not Cuban. Yeah, yeah. So like it really comes down to like you can't please everybody. No, I yeah, yeah. So just I guess do your best. Well, and people like to be angry about things. So it's like, let me find this like that, very small. That is thing, also like, true. That really like actually cares about that much and, and you know, be angry about it. So, um, yeah, no, I, yeah. Well, and what's, and it, it was Kidman, right? That's that place. Who plays Lucille yeah. Ball? Well, she's yeah, Australian. Kidman was like, so it's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. It's like, I mean, who cares if they're Australian? Like she, you know, looks like her, she, whatever she played her. It's like, fine. I don't know. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Well, I, I had and to, and Kaluuya got a little bit of that right for playing Fred Hampton. He did. He did. Yeah, because he's, he's right? English. Yeah. I had so many oh. debates with one of my thesis t- uh, teachers over this because I I'm very much of the mindset where, like, I think you can play within your national. Like, I when it comes, I think you can play within your race. But like your nationality, it doesn't really when it comes to nationality, I think let anyone take it. Um, and my, my professor was like, well, you got to address that. And I'm like, I don't think I should address it. Cause that's not what this is about. And he's like, well, you should address it. I remember having those debates. I hated those debates because <laughs> I was like, I don't want to complicate this any further than I have to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's no, it's like, yeah, the word, same word you used earlier. It's sticky, right? There's, there's a little part of it. A little sticky. Very sticky. Uh, Tarantino. What a, what a guy. <laughs> Get you talking for sure. (laughs) Uh, So Tarantino was writing a book on Italian filmmaker Sergio Corbucci when inspiration struck, which is likely why Tarantino called his own Western hero Django after Corbucci's 1966 Western classic Django. Franco Nero, who plays the original Django, has a cameo appearance as the Italian slave owner engaging Calvin Candy in the Mandingo fight. Uh, He has that, you know, the D is silent moment with our Django at the bar, which is so fucking rewarding. If you've seen the sixties movie, which is awesome. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I've not. It kicks so much ass. It really does. It's great. He's just this like one name, Italian hero wandering the West with dragging a coffin behind him the whole time. And you're like, why does he have a coffin all the time? And he ends up fighting these like crime bosses in this town. And he opens the coffin and there's a goddamn Gatlin gun in there and he just like sets up and just takes care of business. 
It's beautiful. <laughs> it's a f- I love Django. Yeah, no, <laughs> um, he never. I don't think he ever released that book. So I think he just gave up on the the Corbucci book and started writing his own spaghetti western story. Mm. Um, he wrote. I he did re- uh, release a book recently uh, within the last couple of years, Cinema Speculation, and the last yeah, bit yeah. of the book is all about um a man he knew growing up, a guy named Floyd Ray Wilson, who was a um he was a uh what the hell what he was like uh, his mom's boyfriend for a bit or his aunt's boyfriend or something he was black he was he would show tarantino different like movies and take him to different places he'd never been before and floyd ray wilson had written a screenplay about a black bounty hunter during slavery who was very similar to django and that script was lost to time because no one bought it so tarantino kind of won't say stole but like repurposed some stuff from this and made Django and he said in the book that like his biggest regret is he didn't thank Floyd Ray Wilson when he won his Oscar for screenwriting for this mm-hmm. and that was kind of it, was, it made him look a little human that bit which, which yeah. I liked because he's so larger than life yeah uh, and the name Floyd Ray Wilson pops up in a couple of his movies just as like a nod yeah that's cool <laughs> Um, Will Smith was Tarantino's original choice for the role of Django, but Smith turned it down as he felt that Django wasn't really the lead character of the film. The film, big the, uh, right yeah, big, big what if, yeah, the role went to Jamie Foxx, who killed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Smith, like, he <laughs> that's the most egotistical shit I've ever heard. Like, I'm not in charge, so I don't want it. Well, do you see him playing a slave? No. But no. Well, he he did a movie last year where he played a slave, Emancipation. That's, that's years later once he realized the mistake. Fair yeah. enough. I, 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 yeah, I think that's it. Go ahead, go ahead, Michael. What? Sorry, I, I was just going to say, especially for the time, he was all like, you know, he's a little egotistical, egotistical. You know what I mean? So like, he he definitely had a complex. Still had a, com- I mean, that's why he was able to slap Chris Rock. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so I highly doubt. I, I don't think it would have been as good with him, especially because we know the roles that he comes from. So I think it would be really hard for the audience to detach like um, like, I don't know, a lot of the other movies that he's been in, like Men in Black. It, it would be really hard to detach that character or Fresh Prince from yeah. from him playing like such a, a hard, heavy duty character, like with that grit. I don't think it would have worked. Well, and he said that he said it's not it's not just that they're not the main character. It's like I don't want to ever be this like ambiguous like guy. Like I always need to be the hero. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and ultimately Django is the hero of the story. You know, it's just it's just he goes about it in a different way than like the kind of cookie cutter heroes that Will Smith wanted to play at the time. But, I mean, Will Smith is the guy who he would literally he literally sat down in the 90s and he was like studying, OK, what movies like are the biggest of the box office? OK, it's alien stuff. It's this. And, and then he just like played those just like a bunch in a row. It's like he almost like mapped out like this is and kind of gained the system. And it worked for a long time. Um, and then people got tired of it. So this, to me, this would have been a perfect role. Like if I'm, you know, his agent, like, Hey, take this, you need to evolve. Like it can't just be more of the same, more of the same, more of the same. This is, this will show kind of like your full range. Cause I do think he actually can act. He's just kind of gotten to the point where it's like just all these cookie cutter roles. And then I think he realized this mistake. And now in more recent years, he's like, okay, I got to take all these, you know, risks mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But it's like, it's a little too late, dude. Like we kind of like moved past you. So, um, and then obviously the, the slap thing is like, he's put him in a whole other category now, but, um, <laughs> and the ridiculousness with like the, you know, some of the. I don't even want to get into like some of the stuff with his, you know, um, 
I mean, Jada Pinkett and all that, you know, nonsense and all that. So uh, that, I don't know. Like he just, I, I, to me, that's a massive missed opportunity for him, but I'm glad he missed that opportunity because Jamie Foxx is so good. Yeah, he really was. It's interesting that like Will Smith got, you know, has this, you know, almost hero complex where he's got to be, it's, it's never really in doubt that Django is the hero. I guess he's just too like messy. Yeah. Because it's like what a hero in what way? You know what I mean? Cause he didn't necessarily like stop slavery. His goal wasn't to necessarily help the black people. You know what I mean? The enslaved that were there. He never had a goal of like doing this for the greater good. It no. was a very personal individualistic mission. To, like right. I want my wife and like, oh, I get to kill white people and get paid for it. But like, <laughs> like, let's try this. Let's switch up the roles a little bit so I can get paid, compensated for this. Like get my personal revenge and get my woman. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, it, it, it depends. Depends on how you use the term hero. That yeah. Is, yeah, that's yeah. true. No, because he does not. Yeah, it is not. And I think that's what Will Smith probably wants. He's like, no, I need I need this to be at the end, be like revisionist history, just like Inglorious Bastards. And look, I say the day slavery stopped. Yeah. That's probably what he wanted that to, to be written like. And that's just not. I mean, to be honest, that's not that interesting. You know, like it's like, that's not that interesting of a story. This is actually a little more human, you know, like realistic of like this. I mean, and the, I think that's what the Samuel L. Jackson character represents of like, hey, like, you know, we watch that from today through today's lenses. And I'm sure it's like. I mean, it's frustrating for me. It's probably even more frustrating for black to be like, dude, come on. Like, like it's like, you're going to do this to kind of your own. Like, this is, this is crazy. You know, um, he is, he's despicable character. The Samuel Jackson one, you know, like he really is. And and he does get kind of get his comeuppance in a way, but yeah, I mean, the only three, three people that Janko really saves are the three in that cage at the end um, with the Quentin Tarantino. Those are the only three that he kind of like gives them a better life. Cause he kind of like, you know, essentially, you know, hey, I'm gonna shoot down these guys who haven't captured and open your little cage there. But like, that's really it. You know, everything else you're right. It's, it's totally personal. Mm-hmm. And that's not really saving them. He just set them free. Right. Like, right. Right. Okay. Right. But like, they're out yeah. there in the world. Slavery still a thing. They can get caught. You know what for I mean? Sure. So. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Same with Django. Man. I mean, he ends up, you know, him and Vermhilda are two black people in deep South Mississippi surrounded by a lot of dead white people. Like, this is not a very optimistic ending it may look it may seem like one but how the hell are they gonna get out of there right and honestly even with free papers because he did have his free papers right yeah Yeah. i mean realistically even back then with people with free papers they were still getting killed they no one cared yeah because they didn't respect that shit so take it back to 12 years (laughs) of slave solomon northup was a freed man in the north who was kidnapped and taken to the south like nobody cared Mm -hmm. it's fucking tragic but yeah um and frankly, you know, Jamie Foxx is a better actor. <laughs> he is. I he said it. <laughs> yeah. I Ray was great. Collateral was great. Django Unchained was great. Will Smith has like a couple greats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I wonder if we just don't know. I mean, if Will Smith, because like he doesn't take chances like this. It's like, it's like he may have been able to do this, but yeah, I just don't. Who knows? Yeah. But you know, know what he I did instead of Django? Like he did After Earth. Yeah. yeah, that was dumb. <laughs> No, I, th- I think when you get typecast in the way that Will Smith has been, and especially because he 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 really wanted that to be his persona, not yeah. just in film, but in, even in his personal life. I think like in a documentary of his, I, I don't know if it was on like his YouTube channel and he was kind of like, he did like this multi-series documentary of himself. Um, I think he said that in one of the videos was like, I always grew up wanting to be the good person, mm-hmm. wanting to be the person in my regular normal life that people revered and looked up to. And then that translated to his working life and on screen. 
So it, like I said, I think it's it would be really hard to break away from that. Even if he did go, do a good job, it's so hard not to see goofy ass Will Smith, like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You know what I mean? Like right, it is right. very hard not to see that or Men in Black. You know, it's even, even, um, oh my God, what's the one that he did with um, Steve Martin? Oh my God. What can I think of it? Oh my God. You know what I'm talking about? You know the movie I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. I'm sure I do. I, I oh my God, I, hold on. Let me. I wish I could help you out here, but yeah. I'm no, sorry. I, Come I, on, let me. So Jamie Foxx just has so much more range. I mean, that's, that's, I think, that's, I think, the biggest, you know, um, differentiator between it. Bad um, it comes down. Hmm? Bad Boys. That was a movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With Martin Lawrence. Yeah. That's what I meant. So, yeah. like, it's, it's, it's like one of those things where it, I, I, this role was too gritty, too real. It, it needed someone who could be crass, who could be dirty. Yeah. Yeah. And Jamie did that. And, and, it, and be a little morally, you know, ambiguous. You know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah, that helps too. It needed an actor, and Will Smith is a movie star. Mm. yeah there you go there you go yeah uh so just a couple more like tidbits um during the scene when dicaprio's character who we're gonna get into a lot later oh we uh, are (laughs) when he's explaining phrenology uh dicaprio cut his left hand upon striking the table smash it uh smashes a glass and his hand is really profusely bleeding there uh dicaprio barely reacted remained in character uh, he's seen taking out pieces of broken glass during the scene. Uh, after Tarantino said cut, there was a standing ovation by the other actors to praise his commitment and performance in that moment. And then Tarantino decided to keep the sequence in the final cut. Wow. He's got his hand bandaged uh, for the rest of the movie. Uh, and contrary to popular belief, Kerry Washington and DiCaprio worked out the scene where he wipes blood on, on her face he didn't just do that with real blood. They were like, hey, let's try this because they're actors, not psychos. But uh, yeah, fascinating. That, that level of commitment to that character. He's just breaking shit and rolling with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, we, we we could probably save the Leo talk, but it, yeah, it's uh, there's plenty. There's plenty of meat on that bone. Yes, indeed. Uh, Django Unchained has an IMDb score of 8.5, Rotten Tomatoes score of 87%, audience score of 92%. Critics' consensus reads, bold, bloody, and stylistically daring, Django Unchained is another incendiary masterpiece from Quentin Tarantino. I love that. Incendiary masterpiece. It's like, this movie, people are going to fucking talk about this. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice turn of phrase. Yeah. The movie was a huge hit, grossing $426 million on a budget of $100 million. It was nominated for five Oscars at the 85th Academy Awards, winning two, took home Best Supporting Actor for Christoph Waltz, and Best Original Screenplay for Tarantino. It was also nominated for Best Sound Editing, Best Cinematography, and Best Picture. Uh, beautiful. Yeah, Christoph came out of nowhere, took home two statues, playing the worst human being in history and the best human being in history. <laughs> I I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he also he also has some you know, some some moral ambiguity there, but I think ultimately is in in this world in this world he is the kindest human no, being. In this world, he is a yeah yeah he's he's a, he's like a unicorn, and he also is a okay the end will justify the means type guy. You know yeah yeah I mean he ultimately he is a cold blooded killer like they're you know yeah he just has a bit of he has a conscience <laughs> yeah yeah ah. Uh, 
Um, all right. Well, with that, let's give uh, Django and Chain some awards. Sounds good. Best line. Who's going first? I'll I'll take You're, it. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so it's like a series of it's like a whole scene basically. <laughs> it's like it's that that entire scene where they're uh it's I think they're talking to Big Daddy right and trying to convince him to, like oh let's let's distract him so we can get the other three, and he's he's talking to one of the slave girls the slave women, and he's like yeah you know show Django around, but like remember he's he's not one of us <laughs> and she's like i don't what do you mean like do it if he's not a slave and he's not a white person what do you want me to do and they're like yeah you remember jerry treat him like jerry and you have no idea who the fuck jerry is you have no idea like what problems he got he could be a paraplegic like you have no idea what is going on with jerry and that was just like funny hard to hear but also funny because you're left wondering who the hell is jerry <laughs> like what where does he fall in this category yeah, so I, yeah. that was my one of my favorite series of lines <laughs> i like it it is it, it is weird and like consistently dark how humorous tarantino mm -hmm. creates some like he turns some really dark situations into mm -hmm. hilarious moments of levity uh that, that's a that's a fucking talent my favorite bit of that exchange is when she asks him, like, so you want me to treat him like white, like white folk? And he immediately is like, no, it's not what <laughs> yeah. I said. Like, right. Fucking Don Johnson. Well done. Uh, yeah. That any exchange where like they're just lying through their teeth is so satisfying. They're so good at it. And there's a lot of lying. Mm -hmm. All right. What do you got, Adam? Uh, I went with a uh, little exchange at the the dinner table with uh, with Calvin Candy and a few others. Um, and this is when, yeah, they're talking about, you know, oh, it must have been nice that uh, so the, the meeting between between um, uh, Schultz and, and obviously, you know, you know, husband and wife being reconnected and that whole like scene where she faints and all that stuff, which is a really cool, like reveal and like, you know, uh, hey, little troublemaker, you know, that, that that's a really fun like payoff moment of like they've been striving for this for you know the majority of the movie and we finally get that um and then when they're talking about it at the dinner table uh dr king schultz says uh oh mr candy you can't imagine what it's like not to hear your mother tongue in four years and then calvin just responds with well hell, i can't imagine two weeks in boston and then steven <laughs> laughing out loud two weeks in boston mr candy you a mess and i love that little scene because like it's all that like it is kind of a funny line from from candy but it's also like he's the boss and everyone's like the fake laugh. Like we really, Oh man, you're really funny. You know, uh, it just shows like the dynamics of every single person in the room really well. And I think it's just like one of those kind of well-written lines that also comes across because the performers, you know, do such a good job with it. And like that dinner scene in general feels like a lot of, it's like a classic Tarantino where like, you know, like stakes get ratcheted up through just like little moments and little looks. And um, it reminds me of like the opening scene in, in glorious bastards um, with the table and the, you know, um, and even, even the shifting in, in like the languages and, to, and stuff like that too. So um, that was, that's, that's one I want. I wanted to kind of pick one from that scene and that's the one that stood out to me. Nice. Yeah, it is. Tarantino has gotten so good at just tension hidden in like bouncy dialogue. It's so, yeah. he's so good at that. And you can always tell, you can just, the way you, you can feel it. Uh, yeah. And the way this thing just grows and grows and grows until it gets out of control is, is fantastic. Um, mine comes from after Candy has found them out and forced King to pay 12,000 for Brumhilda and they're filling out the, the paperwork 
And Schultz just has this kind of breakdown in the um, the study. And he starts talking about uh, Alexandre Dumas. And uh, he says, I wonder what Dumas would make all of this. And Candy says, come again. Schultz says, Alexandre Dumas, he wrote The Three Musketeers. I figured you must be an admirer. You named your slave after his novel's lead character. If Dumas had been there today, I wonder what he would have made of it. Candy goes, you doubt he'd approve? Schultz says, yes, his approval would be a dubious proposition at best. Candy goes, soft-hearted Frenchie. And and Schultz just looks at him and goes, Alexandre Dumas is black. I love that because it just showcases how fucking stupid this guy is. Yeah. Just peckerwood idiot who has had everything handed to him his entire life. He knows nothing. He has no skill at all. He's just a sadist who thinks he's a genius. And Schultz is just like, I can't believe this fucker won. (laughs) It's it's yeah, it's it's irritating. It's infuriating. And especially if you've read Dumas, it's like, fuck you, man. Anyway. Yeah. Well, and, and, and right. It's it's a guy who considers himself a Francophile who doesn't even know that, you know, he doesn't speak French. I love that. It's like, you know, he, he prefers Monsieur Candy, but don't speak French to him. You'll embarrass him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the play with the, the Southern that stereotype of the Southern ignorance that's there. <laughs> um, it's it's very interesting how all these things interplay. Yep. Sure. Um, music moment. This is a really cool soundtrack made up of uh, spaghetti western uh, theme songs and a couple of original tracks. Um, what'd you guys go with? Go ahead, Maju. His name was King. <laughs> I love that. I think it played like a couple times throughout the movie, and it was just like it's it's one of those where where it plays, you know who's in the scene. You don't even have to be watching it. And you're like, oh something's happening he's he's front and center um i don't know it's just it's just nice and then it, it's a nice like western but like soulful kind of mix in there with it so it kind of takes like a a jazzy spin a little bit on a on traditional western music that you would hear in older films and i like that element of it of it a lot yeah it is a good it's a good hero moment for mm-hmm. for dr schultz when he pulls one over on the marshal of a uh, daughtry mm-hmm. um yeah, and that that tune is a a theme song to a movie called His Name Is King, from the mm-hmm. '60s, which I got to check out. Uh, good pick, Adam. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many different types of of. I mean, it's it's the it's one of those kind of modern movies or uh, or movies set in the past that has some modern music, which throws some people off sometimes. But I didn't I didn't really mind that. Um, I think that actually it kind of works with with like I mean, like 100 Black Coffins by Rick Ross is in this, and it's like. You know, obviously, yeah, that's a very a very modern artist that that has nothing to do with you know 1858. But that song makes sense with with what we're seeing, and um, it actually comes across pretty well. Um, I went with "I Got a Name" by Jim Croce, um, great kind of old country song. Uh, and it's right after Django and Schultz like kind of basically become a team. And it's like he gets that change of clothes, and you know, Schultz like, "Oh man, you look great," you know. And it's like it's kind of like that montage of them kind of becoming a pair um, and leaving Texas and. Um, I really like that song. That song fit that fit that little moment, I think, really well. And it's just kind of a kind of a fun old old song. I think it came out in like 1969. Um, so kind of right around the time of the original Django, I guess. But uh, but yeah, the soundtrack is awesome. And the score is great. It's 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 uh, a huge element to this movie. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Jim Croce is a mainstay around my house. My grandpa was a huge fan. So he, he, he played Croce for everybody. Cool. So I got a name is just a great little, little little moment of like, hey, working out right now that's good well um, and, the, and, the, and the title of the song too right i got a name i mean that's like it's like yeah. 
yeah, it's like, no, this guy, like, you know, for, for someone who was you know literally about to be enslaved or wasn't enslaved, like, um, he, he gets his name, right? Like this guy's helped him give, get his name and, and Django is the name and Django is so powerful. It's like, that's, that's such a powerful name. I think that's a cool, yeah, tie-in. Mm-hmm. And it's I didn't think about it like that. Say that. Um, just the title of that and then the tie-in to like Django's character and stuff and his, his evolution, it, it reminds me of Roots and that whole scene where he's like, what's your name, boy? And he's like, it's Kunta Kinte. So like, there is a lot of power. There's a lot of symbolism and a lot of like depth to that, that element of name. Like what, what are we called? What do we call ourselves? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's funny. Cause it's just, yes, it's for Django. And I know he's fictional, but also it's like a, a more powerful um, theme that reverberates itself throughout history and real life throughout slavery up, up until present day. Yeah. So just interesting. That is interesting. That's I've never, I didn't think about it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to go with the opening, you know, Django. This is so fucking awesome and iconic and such a great song, but I, I decided to not do that. I went with, um, an original song from the movie. Um, who did that to you by John legend? Mm. Uh, it's just, it's, it's so satisfying, especially the first time you watch this, you think, you know, Oh shit. Like, this is going to end horribly for Django and, you know, he gets captured and they're on their way to the LaQuint Dickey mining company. And you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop for him to get one up on these people and go back and save his wife. And when it finally happens and he blasts them all apart and that song starts playing and Django's revealed in the dynamite dust as this like heroic silhouette of the West. It's fucking awesome. It's like right out of a spaghetti Western. It just feels so rewarding. And especially like, you know, he's coming down on these fuckers like hellfire and i just it's 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 a great uh just kind of moment of it's a calm before the storm song and i just i really i've always liked it yeah yeah now you hear that voice you know exactly who the, who the artist is right and you're like oh yeah this is yeah it's no that's a great moment mm-hmm. <laughs> um performance so there are options here this is a great cast everyone kills it yeah. um I'm very interested to see who you all went with. Well, well, I mean, you know, I might you can go first, but I think we should, should use this opportunity to, even if it's, you know, maybe we have overlap or no, like we should just talk about the cast in general, right? At this point, like this is, I mean, <laughs> we, we've not probably done enough of that. Uh, I mean, it's just phenomenal. So Maja, go ahead and go. And then that'll hopefully be a jumping off point to talk about other people in the movie. Cause I think there's a lot of people we should highlight. Yeah. Um, well, I went, you know, I love Jamie Foxx, but yo, I went with Christoph. I feel like, the first time I watched this movie, however many, like back in 2012, when it came, right? 2012. Um, yeah. I liked his character then. And ever, ever since then, each time I watched this movie up until recently this week, I like, I love his character even more. Um, I know that there's like some problematic elements to him. I mean, of course, he's a product of his time. So the scene where he's like, yeah, you know, I didn't know that that black people like believed in marriage, like believed in the institution of marriage. You know what I mean? Um, so it just, it just dispels more and more of like how deeply entrenched these ideologies of black people are and of slaves and their capacity to, to be human. <laughs> um, however, I think he did it so well. Like he, he played the, I'm born into this thing. So this is how I believe, but also like there's a, a shred of compassion in there where we shouldn't be this, <laughs> this this terrible to human beings. We shouldn't let dogs rip these bodies apart kind of thing. 
and it the, plus all the humor that's juggled in there he did such a great job like he he felt like it felt like that character was plucked from that time frame and put into the movie kind of thing <laughs> and he just did a great job it was seamless for me um like i said you i felt a level of of like compassion toward him a little bit especially near the end i don't know if that was if that wasn't supposed to happen or if it was but i did i just i loved his character i love his acting he's phenomenal um, i think he did a great job yeah, yeah, I agree. And there's so many, there's so many layers to both the casting of him. Um, when you pair it with Inglorious Bastards, which is yeah. the movie that follows. So it's like in that movie, right? He's playing kind of like the worst of the worst, right? Which you already mentioned, Connor. Um, you know, Landa, and he and he is he is just pure evil. You know, it's just it's like it's like you know, disguised and this kind of like you know, little grin that he has, but it's like, no, he is he is pure evil. And I think it's so cool that, you know, he's, he's done this and whether it's intentional or not, maybe this is me reading into it. I don't know. I'm sure, you know, Quentin, he's a smart guy. I'm sure he did mean this to some degree. Um, but to have a person who, you know, okay. So a German actor who we have that opening scene in glorious bastards where um, they're speaking different languages and they almost like, they like almost joke about like, well, like we should just speak English since we both, it's like, really, that's like a movie joke. It's like, let's just, you know, uh, this would be easier for like the audience to like understand <laughs> another reason we subtitles, which is like such a smart, like clever little thing um, to then cast a German in a movie set, you know what, I guess, but, you know, 80 years before the events of, of Inglorious Bastards to be this like benevolent figure. Um, it's a great bit of like, almost like it's not stunt casting, but, um, kind of like inverting, like what we think, you know, this guy is because of, you know, that, that was clearly his most famous role to that point, Christoph Waltz's. So to do that and, and to cast a German guy who at that point in time, Germany was not on this like path to just like being this, you know, absolutely, you know, um, kind of evil power, uh, that, that it became at, at both world war one and world war two, um, it was it was an easier country to live in and there weren't as many kind of like uh stereotypes of, of different types of people and so like to have to drop him in this world i mean he is this kind of like oh like i didn't realize like like you said sometimes it's like ignorance right like, i didn't realize like black people believe in marriage but it also leads to a bunch of times where he is really um sympathetic and empathetic to the black characters because he's like oh like what are you guys doing like this is crazy like america's nuts like this is you know you can see him it's like we're using him and like this german character uh, to show us how crazy it was at that time in this country, um, especially in that part of the country. So I think it's just like, it's such a smart kind of like layered thing. And the fact that, you know, we have a German character later or, or you know, a woman who speaks German later in the movie to kind of have that like bit of, of a shout out to Inglorious Bastards where they could speak German to each other, but like really it's easier for them to speak English for you know, for our sake. Like, I think it's just so smart. Um, and he is so good. He's just so good and, and a perfectly cast. A perfect. It's like he was made to be in Tarantino movies. It's really cool that, that they kind of found each other. Yeah. And it, it's funny that you mentioned that, that that connection between like Inglorious Bastards and, and this film um, and kind of how he flip flopped his his characters a little bit. It Because in real life, like Nazi Hitler took notes from our slavery, right, from right. American slavery to then right. apply that to how he was treating Jewish people and other people captured in these in these concentration camps. So it, I also think it's really funny how like both of these films are are focused on these two particular moments in time that are using this one character, this one actor to flip flop between different roles within those time periods where literally that's what happened in real life. <laughs> like, like actually like yeah. that is literally how that transpired. So it, yeah. I, I just got the connection there. It's yeah. It's so layered. It's really smart. It's really, yeah. really smart. <laughs> I remember reading somewhere that Waltz nearly passed on this. He, he only wanted to do this if he could play somebody entirely noble. Right, because right, he, right. he just 
played such a draining evil son of a bitch in bastards and tarantino obliged and he just created this the only yeah the only like sympathetic like decent white person in the movie yeah 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 and you know he he i've read an interview with him um talking about a bunch of his different roles but this one in particular and he was saying he had such a hard time um with this role like because he he liked he liked the character for the most part but having to say the n-word he had such a hard time with that that he would have to take these long pauses before the takes where he would have to say that and just be like okay like it's just a character like it's not you know what i mean like he would have this really difficult time actually saying that um which is like it's yeah i mean it's like that's honestly like pretty cool that he's like he's like so sensitive to that um kind of a testament to his character no he seems like a really interesting guy christopher it's like really like what a fascinating career he's had you know yeah he almost yeah, yeah almost retired because of a lack of interest in roles tarantino tracks him down gives him a crazy huge career in hollywood two oscar wins and he's you know an a-list character actor like way to go yeah um uh, yeah who did you go with, um, Adam? Um, I was torn between. I figured somebody would go Walt, so I was like, I'll, I'll save that for somebody else. I was really torn between Jamie Foxx and Leo DiCaprio, and I went with Jamie Foxx in the end. Um, I just think like it rests on his shoulders. It's like we. Just, this is just a very different movie. If it is Will Smith or even somebody else, um, what was there anybody else kind of in the running, or was it kind of like Will Smith was first choice? He said no, and then I went with Jamie Foxx. Is that kind of um, Michael Kenneth Williams was also in the running. Interesting, interesting. Rest in peace, man. Um, yeah, come at the king. You best not miss that. That would have been that would have been a very interesting movie. I, he's he's great, but probably not a big enough star to 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 have this make you know nearly half a billion dollars. Um, unfortunately, that's just the way Hollywood works. But um, so yeah, I went with Jamie Foxx. I just think there's a lot of subtlety to the character and to the performance in general. Um, and then and then the times where it needs to be big, it's big. And and I think he can he can go kind of both directions with that. Um, there's looks between him and Kerry Washington. I think that are that are really just like kind of high level stuff um and there, i mean you know it's 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 not a ton of dialogue um he kind of speaks in almost like this like hushed tone for most of the movie but i love when he kind of starts feeling himself a little bit as like the partner and kind of challenges uh you know the leo character a little bit like i those scenes are really good um and all the other kind of like the uh the other like black characters in the film kind of look at him like oh man like this guy's like like he's like if we did that like we get you know th- those are really kind of smart scenes and i think you know fox plays those perfectly so so i went with him but we need to talk about leo if you did not pick leo connor Oh, I did. I absolutely picked okay. Leo. We are right. talking we about Leo. Uh, Let's go there. Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio took one hell of a career risk doing this. Um, he was also very bothered by the character, by the dialogue, had a lot of moments where he was like, I don't know if I can do this. Had right, to get right. some, Sam Jackson, had to give him a pep talk of like, we're just actors. It's not real. I, you know, it's, like it's just Tuesday. It's fine. Yeah. And I just, yeah. I, I can't imagine getting into the head of somebody this evil. I, it, I, I'm not an actor. I don't know how that works, but I imagine it's just, it hurts. It hurts a lot. Uh, and Calvin Candy, Jesus Christ. There are few characters in film who are worse than he is. He really is just the most despicable <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah. And DiCaprio commits. He, he, with like, He's never he never did anything like this before. I think this is his first villain. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, first straight up villain. Yeah, yeah. He's played people that are a little bit, you know, um, 
you know, I, yeah, morally dubious to use that that term again. I mean, but but not yeah, just a straight up villain. I mean, yeah, he is pure evil in this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if he hadn't gone a hundred percent, I think everyone would have. I think it would have killed the movie. I think it would have been a watered down. You know, he needed to be basically he needed to be like the white slaver personified. He needed to be just the worst person in the world for this movie to work. I mean, we meet this guy in a Mandingo fight, like watching two men fight to the death and like cheering him on. That's how we meet this guy. <laughs> and it's just, it's such a brilliant law. I don't even see Leo in the role. Like it, it is so transformative. Uh, I've always been just in awe of his performance in this movie, like straight up. It it, yeah. it jumped out. It jumped out more to me this time. Um, but yeah, Maja, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, even more so this time than the first time I saw it. But yeah, Maja, go ahead. Yeah, I was just, I was gonna say it. It you know he did a good job when it's so believable <laughs> that you're like, can he die already? Like, <laughs> can yeah. I kill him? Like, I can go through the TV and kill him myself. <laughs> Um, I, th I think when you're able as an actor to embody that whatever kind of character you're playing to that degree where where you kind of solicit a, a strong, intense response from the audience, I think you did a good job, maybe too good of a job, but <laughs> but a job done nonetheless. <laughs> do, you, do you ever have and maybe, maybe this is part of Leo's fear and taking on a role like this. But again, I'm, I, I commend him so much for, for doing this because it's like, yeah, it's, it's a risk. It's a risk. But um we're like, like I thought about this, like when you talked about um, Get Out and Caleb Landry Jones's character is so evil that I'm like, is that is 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 he actually kind of evil? Is Caleb Landry Jones himself? It's like, how does he do that? It's like it's magic, you know. Like, um, and like, look, I don't think obviously I don't think Leo has like you know a, a bone like <laughs> like like uh, candy in his body. Or I hope he doesn't. But but it's like it does. It's like it's so good that you're like, wow. I mean, man, how how is he able to go there? Um, it, he's also like. Yeah, I mean, he's so full of shit. This character, it's just like, it's just like, it's just, yeah, he's just filled with just piles of shit. But he also, it's like very funny. I mean, he, he's, he's, yeah, I, I was kind of blown away. You're just like, man, Leo is so, so good in this. Like, it's really, it's really kind of amazing. And, and I, this is maybe the time to kind of talk about this. Like, the N word stuff, like, obviously, that's, that's, you know, that's, I guess, commendable. They were like, so, you know, like, I don't want to use that. They're so freaked out by that that they didn't take on a moments before shooting. Um, I, I don't even know how to like tackle that part because like that was a criticism of the movie too. It's like, oh, like he just wants to, you know, a chance for like, you know, have white actors say this so many times. It's like, but that is how that is how people spoke. That is how a guy that's how that that guy would have spoken. So it's like, what are you supposed to do? Like you pretend like he doesn't say that. It's like that's that doesn't make sense. So um I don't know if y'all want to get into like that bit of it, but um, but that was a controversy around the movie. I do remember when it came out. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Um I think it does the film a disservice to act like that word doesn't exist. It yeah. is historic. I've read diaries of people from that time and it is just full of that language. Cause that's how they talked. Mm -hmm. They did not view black people as human beings. Mm -hmm. And even down to the, the part at the dinner where he brings out the skull and he's, he's doing that pseudoscience eugenics bullshit. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. is actual, those are some some actual things that have been said and that conclusions have that have been made about like the differences between black people and white people especially when it comes down like to biology so it i i think i i can understand why the intensity of the language and maybe some of the other things represented in the film could strike a chord with a lot of people i i completely understand that but also that's what makes it so much more real 
because this was how this is how it really was. This was like casual conversation. So and I, I think maybe to us, we're not so so used to it. And, and especially like watching it in a film where it's like a whole bunch of violence and it's the slavery stuff, which is still a very sensitive topic in this country. Like, let's keep it real. A lot of people still don't like to talk about it. We don't even like to talk about systemic racism like that because it's like it's too touchy for a lot of people to get into for a, a myriad of reasons. So to culminate that then with the language that we've also have since labeled archaic, but is it is it really? Because I don't know. The, the Twitter right. thing is a whole other whole other level <laughs> we could get into later. Um, so I, I can understand where that comes from, um, but also that's what makes it that much more real. That's what makes it that much more impactful. That's what pisses you off more. And that's how you know it did its job because it represented what was going on in that time period too well. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we need things like this. And, and it's why people study history. It's like, so to, it shows us like how far we have come and how far maybe we still have to go. Like, it, it it's the same reason why it's like, it's good that Germany didn't, you know, just tear down and try to just like erase all, you know, con, you know, sign of any concentration camps. It's like, um, no, th- th- there needs to be a reminder of like, hey, this is what happens when we're not careful when we like, let you know, some of these ideologies go too far. Um, I mean, I've been to one of those, yeah, you know, I've been to Dachau. And it's like, it's like, it's totally sobering, crazy experience. Like, I, it's hard to even describe. Um, but it's like, I, I actually commend them for, you know, that still being a part, like showing like, hey, yeah, like this is a really dark part of our history, but it's there. And like, it needs to be, you know, acknowledged I, that we know kind of how far we can, you know. I do kind of admire Germany for owning up to it and just yeah. accepting the fact that like, this is who they were at one point yeah. and being very, you know, vocal about this is not who we are. Here, we just keep trying to sweep it under the rug. Like we're right. not owning up to shit. We never have. And that's why we can't get better because we, we, you know, you got to admit that it happened before you can learn from it. Yeah. And that's so irritating, especially as a historian to just watch people act like this either didn't happen or it happened a different way than it really happened. And yeah, I like movies like this that show like, no, this, this shit happened. It was rough. It was horrible. And it was, it was life. Yeah. Well, also, yeah. And again, it's like it, the movie is not set in 2012. So it's like, it'd be very weird to like, yeah. obviously you had a movie set in 2012 and these characters are saying these things like, dude, what are you like? This is weird, you know? Um, and I think that the, the, the candy character is such a, it's like a perfect encapsulation of like the attitudes kind of of the time where it's like, there, there's times where the way, the way he's talking about either you know, the slaves he owns or just kind of black people in general, where it's almost like, it's like admiring. It's almost like fetishizing. Right. And it's like, it's like, oh yeah, you know, this, this, and, and, and you know, the, the performance aspect of it and it's like but and then and then at times obviously he treats them like absolute dirt it's like the, the point is both are wrong right and like he has he's 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 guilty of both of those things like both of those attitudes of just kind of like um the weird fetish fetishization of like the black body but then also like yeah but their mind is like terrible you know it's like it's really it's just so dark he's like he's such an evil character it's like it's like almost overwhelming but leo is just incredible in the role mm-hmm. I mean, but yeah. there again is like the reality of the situation. That's literally what it always has been <laughs> and right. what it continues to be is like a complete possession, right. domination, ownership, and uh, fetishization and utilization of any sort of aspect of the Black body, of a Black experience to profit from, to benefit from, to, to exploit. Like, I, that's just what it is. And I think maybe that's why a lot of some aspects of the film, especially the language may have pushed people the wrong way. Cause I could see how a lot of people would, um, I don't know, related to like black exploitation films a lot, especially in the seventies. Cause a lot of, I, a lot of that black culture and character was, was utilized 
to to kind of exaggerate certain things and then to make a profit off of it. You know what I mean? So I I could see maybe why some people may have kind of been triggered by this <laughs> in hindsight. Because well, um, it, I mean, it lends itself to that a little bit. It That's very much not an accident. Tarantino, he he was influenced like that's how he learned about black culture was through black exploitation film. So there is an, a, a skewed lens with him that yeah. comes up a lot. Um, and he, you know, take that with, you know, however you, I don't, I don't think he's a racist. I don't, uh, but he does, he does borderline sometimes with, with the shit he, he doesn't mm-hmm. says. Yeah. Well, I, I think I, therein is the issue is like, that is his, entryway into black people black culture black history through like yeah. things that were exploitative in nature and i think yeah. that that is the underlying heavy problem that remains is like okay <laughs> we we get yeah sure historical accuracy or whatever but like mm, where is the line mm-hmm. where is the line yeah he flirts with it for sure and also yeah. like you can tell he he, he in, in a way is i mean i almost like hesitate to even draw this comparison but um has some of the candy mentality into it where you can tell he's really like, he really likes black culture. Like you can tell he really is like fascinated by it. And like, it's like, you know, it's, it's Jackie Brown. It's, you know, it's like he, he is, um, I think clearly like, you know, like really fascinated by it. Like you talked about that, 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 with that essentially an uncle that he had that kind of showed him like all these movies and stuff like that. Um, you can tell he's like a, an admirer of it, but also like doesn't quite know how to like, and wants to tell, help tell the story and stuff like that. It's like, I think that, you know, those are coming from like a, you know, genuinely good place at times, but he just, it's just, it's just sloppy the way it's handled, you know, from time to time. And maybe, maybe not as considerate of like, like he's the type of person that might be helped like with a, a little bit of a writer's room at time at times. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's, that's where like shows, shows, you know, people who have shows that are cover topics like this, like maybe, maybe the, maybe the, the showrunner can be white or whatever, but the writer's room is full of different types of people who are able to say, Hey, you know, maybe if you consider this part, have you considered this element of this story? Have you considered this other side of it? Um, but he's doing everything, you know, pretty much on his own. I mean, it's all written and directed by Corinne Tarantino, right? That's like his thing. So that's where I think you can kind of see, it's like, this is just one guy's vision, you know? So, um, he could maybe be aided by, Hey, let me consider this experience. Let me, let me consider this person's experience or this person's experience and, and take that and not put it into the movie. And maybe that'll help make it a little more, um, clean for everybody. But yeah, I don't know. I, I does that make sense? Like, I, like a writer's room might actually help him to a degree. I, I read somewhere somebody described the writing process in terms of like writing characters that every character a writer creates was in their head to begin with. Like it's an offshoot of some aspect of their, of their personality, of their psyche, something. So that means on some level, somewhere in his head, Calvin candy exists. Right. I don't know to what extent, but there is a piece of him who, had enough evil to come up with something like that. Mm. And I don't know where I'm going with it. It's just something interesting to point out. But also, also, but, but enough, but enough, you know, moral fiber to make him a villain and kill him. You know what I mean? So it's like, also that Schultz and Django are in there too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It's a complex, it's a complex mind. It seems. (laughs) Yeah. And Tarantino is such a crazy control freak when it comes to his scripts. Like I was reading up on, he chose music from other sources specifically because he said he doesn't want, he would never have a score, like an original score for his movies. Cause he did, he can't imagine giving anybody else that kind of control over his films. Wow. 
except if it's a Neo Morricone for the Hateful Eight, I guess he'll make an exception in that case. But that's a crazy thing to say. It's like, no, this is mine, my picture. No one, no one dictates the emotions of this movie but me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's very clearly a control freak. That's there's no question about that. <laughs> oh, um, okay. So we all went big three. Um, I think Carrie Washington's probably next up for me. She yeah. is yep. electric in this movie. Yeah, just such a a ballsy, badass character who just refuses to let anybody manipulate who she is and own her. I love that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you know, one of my favorites, I mean, he's, he's, I don't, I don't know. Walton Goggins is somewhere between like character actor and like kind of star, but he's, he's great in this too. Um, and then Samuel Jackson, I think, I think deserves a mention. And it's probably somebody we should talk about a little bit. Jackson's character is so crazily layered. I, he's, you know, he's in charge here. Like he, he controls Calvin. He's figured out a way to rule this place. And that's so fascinating. Uh, Especially the moment where he like when Django has him, you know, at the end of the movie, he just gives up, throws down the, the cane and stands up straight. Yeah. Like, fuck. Like there's Steven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was no, fantastic. He, he's manipulated that that world so clearly he's been there forever and he's learned how to work it. Um, and that scene where he is sitting in that little office with him and, and, and they're 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 peers, right? They're sitting at the same level. Like like they, they, they that's a really, I think, unique shot where it's like you kind of see this moment where it's you know, it's Calvin and Steven staring at each other eye to eye, both sitting in this chair. He's not higher than, whereas the other times it's like, he's very much the sidekick. He's standing by him at the table. He's kind of his right hand man, right? He's just to his right. Like, like he's shot almost like overlooking, but he's always whispering in his ear. Like, Hey, what do you think? What do you think? You know, um, he's almost like, yeah, this, like this, like little character that's just, it's this using kind of the candy character as a puppet. Um, and he really is like kind of the master of the house, which is like kind of inverts that again. But then it, again, also is why it makes him even like more evil. It's like, you've got this guy's ear and you use it just for your own gain, not for the greater good, like ever. It's always for your own gain. And that's like, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah. Evil. Um, who else would be? Uh... I want to mention a uh, person who played Laura Lee. <laughs> Candy's sister. Yes. I'm just throwing it out there because wow, that was just, that is like epitome of vapid Southern bell. <laughs> the stereotype of it at least um and i have a question were they not having a thing oh they were fucking they There's were 100 definitely yeah, you got definitely. a little jealous and stuff at one point i was like wait a minute mm. yeah yeah and, and, and i think we're also like essentially led to believe that she's she's probably sleeping with a bunch of the fighters too and you know i mean yeah it's like mm. yeah i, I kind of think that's just like a yeah, that's like almost like it's almost, almost a given. But yeah, that 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 uh, that actress is uh, Laura Coyote, Coyote, Coyette. I don't know how to exactly pronounce her name, her last name. But uh, I haven't seen her in a ton of other stuff. But there's tons of like little kind of quick cameos. I mean, obviously, you mentioned Don Johnson already, um, Connor. But there's a bunch of like little people like that that I think are really, really fun, including Jonah Hill. Yeah, yeah he he was supposed to have a, a huge subplot where he, he like tries to marry Broomhilda, but they okay. cut it for time. So he's just there now. That would have been very weird. Yeah. Yeah. Man, cut cut for time in a two hour and forty five minute movie. That's uh, yeah, <laughs> how much more? Like <laughs> he had a he had enough material here for like a mini series. He really did. He cut so much out of this movie. Kevin Costner was supposed to play like another slave, play, like another plantation owner, like a rival to Calvin Candy. Out of fascinating. Yeah, but they he just molded that guy's traits into Walton Goggins' character and just went with that. 
Okay. But yeah, Walton Goggins is an especially just despicable. Ugh. Um, I love the little bit of um Michael Parks and uh John Jarrett as the uh the LaQuint Dickey mining company. I just watched the Wolf Creek movies for the first time. So I gained a whole new appreciation for John Jarrett. <laughs> yeah, I I'd not I don't really like didn't really know who they were. I'd never really seen them and stuff, but no. Michael Bruce Parks Man. is one of Tarantino's mainstays. He's Earl McGraw and Kill Bill. He's he was in a lot of stuff before he passed. Um um well yeah, I guess I'd seen him. I shouldn't realize who that was. Bruce Stern, obviously we get him at one point, uh as old man uh Carrican. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Jonah Hill we already mentioned. Zoe Bell is in it very briefly. She's like one of the trackers. Um, oh, you, she just has a like mask or that kind of bandana over her face uh, for most of the movie. Amber Tamblin plays the daughter of a son of a gunfighter. So there's lots of like little people that can kind of shout out that have done a bunch of other stuff since then and a bunch of stuff before then. Yeah, I love that. I love that he's always done that. He has always given good roles to actors who might not have worked in a while or might not be getting, you know, I mean, look at what he did for Robert Forster and Jackie Brown. Yeah. You know, old yeah. school 70s actor hadn't worked in years, but Tarantino remembered Alligator. So he's like, I want Robert Forster in my movie. Yeah, no, really. I it's really cool. And I, I imagine that call is like pretty easy to make. It's like, hey, you want to come hang out for like, you know, in Jackson Hole for, you know, a couple days and shoot a couple, shoot a couple of scenes. It's like, yeah, sure. For, yeah, for Quentin. Sure, I'll do it. You know, so um, it's like, yeah, Jamie Foxx is going to be there. Leo's going to be there. All right. Sounds good. I'm in. So, um, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's really well cast. Definitely. Um. All right. Scene. What's the what's the best scene of this film? I like I like the raid scene. That's one of my okay. favorite. I think like that entire scene. Well, I don't know if it's like the best of every ever every scene there. I, there are a lot of great ones, but um, I think it was definitely <laughs> towing the line of like comedy, this comedic relief, but also like this shit would really happen in real life, but like, let's, let's turn it on its head and make it seem like these people are really stupid <laughs> and watch them butcher something that could have been so simple over a stupid, like jacked up mass job. <laughs> was done. And so it just, and I remember when um, the commercials were playing for this movie and I remember this being a, a scene in that commercial and I was like, Oh, damn, it's going to be funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so yeah, I have to remind I just put the KKK scene, it's <laughs> like the whole thing, the whole just like, yeah, the Jonah Hill bit, the, the, them like, yeah, the, the mask, the one guy just like leaving because he's so pissed off at everybody else, like for giving him a hard time. It's like all that is like a, a bit of uh, levity when we kind of needed it. Um, and they're just a bunch of bumbling idiots. It's like, that's just a perfect, like, yeah, perfect little scene and, and perfect send up of like the KKK and just like how stupid that whole thing is. Nobody brought an extra bag. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite part. I love the one guy, the one guy pulling it down so he can spit out of the eye hole. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Or like the guy who was like, well, how about we just, how about we just use it for next time? <laughs> we do the bags right and we go full regalia. Yeah. You should, we shouldn't be laughing at that, but it's, it's hilarious. Cause it's just like, <laughs> these guys are literally about to go murder two people. But they're like, we can't see. Like, we got to get these bags right. It's it's so fucking weird. <laughs> well, that's why it's like okay to laugh at because because we're like they're being made to look like fools. It's like it's not like I'm not like laughing like oh haha the KKK is so funny yeah cool. It's like no look at these morons you know like they just like they're so clueless in life and they're so clueless at this little task. It's like they can't even do this right you know that's that's why it's so funny to me. And then they're Fair so enough. filled with this like 
I don't know, blind hate. Like this is just a generational passing down of just like hatred toward a group of people or anyone that that sides with them. That yeah. it is laughable because like, do you even know why? Like, no, is there no a reason on your own behalf of why you feel this way to do all these things, to make these plans, to to entice fear and terror into other people? And so I, I like how it's how it's turned into a comedic thing because it's like, yeah, you don't, what are you even here for? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, what is the point of all this? This is nonsense. Yeah. 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 And then you fuck it up in the process. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't even do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the real quick. I love the little touch of Schultz whistling the Django theme song when he's planting the dynamite in the big tooth. Mm. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, I did not pick the clan scene. I, my favorite moment of this film is when Schultz just finally has enough and mm. shoots candy in the heart. It's so, so satisfying. And, uh, just that whole bit of like, he's finally, like, finally calls him Mr. Candy. It's like the, the pleasantries are completely gone mm-hmm. and just has that, you know, to you, I say goodbye and he's almost out the door, but Candy has to have the last word. Mm-hmm. Just that whole handshake scene. And then just uh, the look on, on Calvin, on Calvin's face when the bullet goes through, he's just like, didn't see that coming. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just like, he's not, it's like surprise and fear. Like, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to live forever. This isn't supposed to happen to me. Yeah. It's ah, I love it. Uh, and then you know, all hell breaks loose. But that that one moment is just so good. You know, you know he's gonna do it. Mm-hmm. You know he's got the the derringer up his sleeve. You just ah. <laughs> well, and yeah. they and they and they foreshadowed it obviously earlier by having him you know, have it. You know, uh, she let before. So it's like we know it's a possibility. And then he actually does it, and he's just like you can tell. He just like it's like he takes this deep breath, and he's like. Okay, this is probably gonna end to my death, but like I just this guy can't live another minute. Like I can't like I can't it doesn't like for the just the good of the world, I gotta kill this guy. Uh he's driving me absolutely crazy. And so yeah, it's so funny this smirk on his face when he's like, I'm gonna get I'm not only gonna get my way in terms of like I'm gonna keep my fighter, I'm gonna get my twelve thousand dollars, all I lose is this woman who I didn't really care about anyway. Um, and I'm gonna get my handshake, which I wanted. It's like, no, actually, you're just gonna die, is what's gonna happen. So so yeah, I love that. I love that scene too. And and yeah, and, and there's the buildup of him, you know kind of you know getting on him about the the you know the, the book and the Alexander Dumas being black and all that stuff so it's like that it leads perfectly into that and um and then obviously creates some chaos afterwards but it's a really good scene and it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because it's very small but it's where Django's just fucking everybody up and, and he's like yeah say goodbye to his sister and he shoots her and she just like takes off. Like it like looks flies. like yeah. a Mario Party, like Daisy is just getting knocked off yeah. of a, a mushroom. Um, yes. And I think that is like a perfect representation of how she was revered and treated throughout the movie anyway, in her small um, portrayals in the movie. Like she is very much like discarded. Like, yeah, okay, oh, where's my beautiful sister? And he's all over her. It's weird and creepy. And then he's like, all right, go. He doesn't act. <laughs> like dismissed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, or even the doctor, like when he's trying to see Broomhilda, and she's like, "Oh, can I bring you?" And he's like, "Bye bye." <laughs> and so, like her going out that way is just—it's comedic because she's literally been treated that way the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, run along. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, yeah. yeah I love she, the the absolute my... hatred in the like in Schultz's voice when he just looks at at Calvin and goes, "Do you really want me to shake your hand?" It's just like <laughs> read between yeah. the lines, Calvin. Like, it's just mm-hmm. ah, yeah. I 
the last like 40 minutes of this movie is just gold. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Uh beautiful. Um what other scenes uh do y'all want to spotlight? Well, I mentioned it earlier with my with my song choice, but I, I love the kind of like the like where they kind of become partners, you know, Schultz and 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 uh and uh and Django. Like it's like I I almost almost like that kind of classic getting the team together, you know, scene in a bunch of like different movies and heist movies and sports movies and stuff like that. It's like them kind of becoming, you know, buddies and partners and realizing like, you know, this is gonna be kind of like the tandem for the rest of the movie. Um, we're on equal footing here. Like you don't have to be a slave anymore, you know, like I I like that. Um, whole little stretch and there's also a couple couple shots in that stretch like where they they start to kind of travel a little bit they're like absolutely gorgeous like of like the mountains in the background and stuff like that it's like it's really like there's some really cool landscapes um in this in this movie and so that that little kind of bit of the movie there's a little 10 minute segment that i I really like um, where they're kind of traveling around and um the the horse like horses are used really well in this movie right and and there's there's even a line right at the beginning of the credits that say like none of the horses were harmed in this movie like the horses themselves are almost characters which i think is pretty cool yeah fritz (laughs) yeah Yeah. um Uh, i I think the scene where they're going to candyland and they encounter that that slave that tried to run away um and it's funny because uh dr schultz tells Django like stay in character like we know why we're here you're probably gonna see her if if you blow your cover like we're screwed so like you need to keep it together if you see her like let's let's hold on to this until we get through the plan right and in that scene, you see it switch. You see it completely flip. Django is is seeing, uh, you know, like someone being torn apart, but that's like his daily life. So it really doesn't phase him because that is like his lived experience. So he's he's completely desensitized to it and he's focused on the mission. He's like, all right, cool, whatever. Like that person doesn't matter. I'm used to seeing these scenes. I'm trying to go get my woman. Whereas Dr. Schultz is completely coming undone. To the point where he offers to buy the slave and and that like raised some eyebrows for a lot of people like mm, why are you this white man trying to buy this useless piece of property in their eyes you know what i mean so Django had to then course correct to save the day in that that instance so it's just really i i just enjoyed the way not the scene but i enjoyed the way that, that you see the flip of consciousness with these characters in that moment um despite that previous conversation being had so I think it just perfectly frames like these characters, who they are, what they're doing, what they're all about. Um, yeah. So that was that that stood out to me. And how they've become a team, right? They're able to bounce back and forth. And like, yeah, it's like, hey, I'll cover you sometimes, you'll cover me sometimes. Like, yeah, they actually are a very good team together. Mm-hmm. They are. My I love the touching moment of Django, you know, getting go finding Schultz's body in like the barn or something and getting the his wife's papers and having that, you know, Alveder Zane moment. It's like, oh, <laughs> And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my heart every time. Mm, the only person who ever showed him some goddamn humanity. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the uh, there's there's this you know there's D'Artagnan getting torn apart by the dogs, but I think just as vicious and horrifying is the Mandingo fight. Yeah, yeah I, can't. I can't. I mean, good God, <laughs> just the sound, the sounds. Is, oh man, just yeah. 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 The crunches. Even, even the first time I saw it in theaters, it, it, and every other time since, I can't. That's I literally have to leave the room. I can't. I can't. It's brutal. Brutal. Yeah. And just you know, Candy and Franco Nero just like you know cheering their their guy on, like oh, like they're ripping each other apart. It's yeah. so fucking monstrous. Yeah. Uh, 
And then it's like, yeah, you deserve that beer. You earned yeah. it. You enjoy that. Like, Jesus Christ. But also just a great way to establish Calvin Candy as a despicable son of a bitch. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's true. Uh, all right. Damn. Well, obviously, Letterboxd has a lot to say about this movie. On our final segment, What's in the Box? What's in the fucking box? 4.2 out of 5. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, 5 out of 5 for me. Easy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have four reviews here. Nope, nope. Scratch that. I have five reviews here. Uh, Some negative, some positive. And one I'm going to end with that had me laughing so goddamn hard and you will know why immediately. Uh, this first one's from Jay. The story of Brumhilda that Christoph Waltz tells to Django is literally Shrek. Five stars. <laughs> the story of the, the princess in the dragon guarded castle who's waiting for a knight in shining armor to save her. Apparently, yeah, it's Shrek. And now I've, that's this ruined for me now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that that's like weirdly true. Yeah, ten years later, ten years after Shrek, we get Django, the adult version. <laughs> this is grown up Shrek. Jesus. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. This next one is from Sarah, who hated this movie. We need a firewall between Tarantino and any serious subject matter. He's so out of his depth, both here and with Inglorious Bastards. Scrutiny of any intended message leads inevitably to a place where the tagline of either movie could be in defense of insert horrific thing while offering nothing useful. I would not be surprised is I would not be surprised is IB's is literally the framework for how I don't know what the hell she's talking about. Tarantino rationalized making movies for Weinstein. The dialogue is painful. Slow motion is overused and the camera angles and motions are consistently weird and confusing. Waltz is still bad. And DiCaprio is, as in literally everything he has done, horrible. It's like he prepared by watching a Foghorn Leghorn cartoon or Charlie Day pretending to be a Texas oil man and it's always sunny without realizing (laughs) that was meant to be unconvincing. Just absolutely nothing of merit here. Half a star. Half a star. Nothing Mm. of merit. Yeah, wow. To just tear down Leo's entire career like that was was too much. (laughs) Yeah, that that's a that's there's some crazy takes there. There's a uh, <laughs> yeah, that was all over the place. That's, eh. I mean, there's a lot. You know, we Tarant- Tarantino's relationship with the Weinstein's is not for today. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there, mm. but I don't think that has anything to do with the, the movie's quality. No, not at all. But I, I did. I, I was like, yeah, when it comes across when you first you know, put the movie on, it's like the Weinstein Company. And I was like, oh, yeah, yikes. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, uh... But that's before the Lord of the Rings, too. Like, sure. Sure, sure, sure. That doesn't mean anything. It yeah, just means uh, they paid for it. What's before Goodwill Hunting, right? I mean, it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. 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 They were big. They produced some of the biggest movies ever made. Oscar winners. Yeah. Un- yeah. It's unfortunate, but yeah. Uh, this this one's from Tylot Lantern. It's my birthday tomorrow, so it looks like I'll be having some of that white cake. Five stars. <laughs> Spelled H W I T E. 
It's like Stewie when he's like, coo whip. <laughs> we will be serving white cake. <laughs> Jesus. As if you needed another reason to hate this guy. Oh. Oh <laughs> oh, this next one's from Lola. Crazy how Christoph Waltz single-handedly caused and ended racism in the Tarantino verse. One star. <laughs> no, not cause. <laughs> I don't, I would say he's not the Fuhrer. He's not like, I don't, yeah. That's funny. And this last one. <laughs> this is from Ben Ashby. I don't know this person. <laughs> This movie, this movie sucks, and Connor is an idiot for thinking that it's good. One star. Okay, I am probably not the Connor in question, but that had. Me I was going to say, wait a minute, is this personal? It's not me, <laughs> but there is a Connor out there whose enjoyment of this movie pisses this person off. That Connor character. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, last well, Django. Uh, this was an interesting one. Uh, a lot of dark shit, but a lot of fun shit as well. I knew that was going to happen. It's that kind of movie. Yeah. Yep. Interesting follow-up, too, to get out. So <laughs> Yeah, it just worked out that way. Yeah. <laughs> and that, it just, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, we get to talk about a much softer topic next week, Scientology. Oh. And the cause. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the master. It's like, man, that's gonna be heavy too. But no, no death at all. <laughs> I talked to Austin earlier today, and he was like, "No, nah, he's it'll be he's gonna be a little more fun than some of these." Ones. He's like, "Y'all, y'all did great." He was really complimentary of us, but he was like, "Uh, I yeah." He's like, "It needs to be more kind of like, uh, you know, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman and Paul Thomas Anderson." The kind of like we'll do kind of a, I think like a character draft and things like that. He's like, "I'm gonna keep it a little more <laughs> like because that movie is heavy and we've had a lot of heavy ones." So, um, so yeah, but only if you left, right? Only is there three more on this? Yeah, we have the master, we have the social network, and we have Whiplash. Awesome. And uh, then this project is complete. Great one, send on. Yeah. This was a blast. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com or send us a message through the socials. Check out our letterbox accounts for daily reviews. If you search for me at Connor95 and in my friends list, you can find the rest of the team. Check out the website, filmgasm.com, where I have a link to that letterbox. You can also find articles, trailers of upcoming films, and every episode of our show. If you'd like to become a monthly donor to Filmgasm Productions, click on the link in the episode description. From there, click on Support This Podcast. You can choose to donate a dollar a month, $5 a month, or $10 a month, and all donations go right back into the show. Thanks to the entire Filmgasm team for their contributions. Thanks to Cooley Cow for our awesome theme music. Thanks to you for checking it out. Uh, with that, take it easy, keep watching movies, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.